It's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 502 for September 29th, 2017. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchot with Programming by Stealth installment 40 of X. And I got to say, 39 of X was one of my favorite ones. So welcome back to the show, Bart. Yay! Excellent. Well, hopefully 40 is... Let's hope we build on it. Um, since we're starting afresh, I'm I'm taking smaller bites again. I think I had always the intention had always been to have small bites, and then I got greedy. <laughs> well, no, yeah. you're writing show notes, and you go, oh, that'd be cool. Type, 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 type. Oh, and that'd be cool. Type, 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 type. And then we go to record, and it's like, uh oh, Allison's <laughs> flagging, and there's ooh, so much left in my notes. Yeah, how many times have we had a, a pause that no one on the show has ever heard? Where I'm going. Bart, you're killing me. We've been here for seven hours, right? Well, no, actually, it's only been 45 minutes, but put your wine Yeah, in. We move on. So, uh, so, good. Yeah, so we're going in smaller bites. Now, I had promised everyone that we would now be moving on to make our cellular automata actually go so that we could actually play the game of life. And that was my plan. Uh, but before I started writing the show notes for what I thought was going to be the episode on cellular automata, I wrote my own answer to my own homework because, well, I got to have a sample solution to give out, don't I? And in so doing, I realized I completely left out something very important. Uh, so we're not going on to cellular automata today. And then after I figured that out, you were doing your homework and you figured out something else we've forgotten about in web forms. So, so basically, next week is also not cellular automata. <laughs> Just get that out of the way now, right? We are this and another one, and then we get to do our cellular automata. But you, well, why don't you tell the listeners what you discovered while doing your homework? Well, since you've been so great about teaching us the ARIA uh, stuff for accessibility, I thought, you know what hmm. I'm going to do? I'm, I I told you in the, the pre-show that I cheated and you said there is no cheating in this. Um, I cheated and I sent my index.html file over to Scott Howell and I said, hey, Scott, show me, uh, test this and tell me if I've done the accessibility stuff right. And uh, Scott Good is idea. One my, he's one of my favorite blind friends because He's really into testing stuff. It's just, I think it's what gets him out of the bed, out of bed in the morning is he uh, writes to developers all the time and offers to help show them where they can improve their products. And he's, he's like not mean or snotty. He's just like, Hey, I know this stuff and I bet it'd help you if you knew this stuff and let me teach you. It's mm. really, really terrific guy. So anyway, I, uh, cool. yeah, yeah. And he actually listens along with the show. I think he doesn't do the homework, but, and, but he listens and enjoys it. So that's even better. So anyway, he made me a little video showing me what wasn't working. And, uh, and through doing that, I, I realized something, uh, what, what we discovered, he gave me some stuff that I just did wrong. And that was great because I could fix it. And I understood, oh, the stuff you taught me. I was like, oh, I forgot to do that. I forgot to do this. And I got it working. And, I, and once I had seen how he was testing it, I could run voiceover myself because I'm, you know, like a low intermediate, maybe a, maybe a high beginner at using voiceover. Anyway, what well, we, you, you can do it with a blindfold on, so that that's pretty darn good to go. me in front of an audience. Um, but what we discovered was that our um, one of the things I had put into my uh, the assignment was to create this little movie database sort of thing, you know, fake entry form for a movie mm -hmm. database. And I wanted to have a one to five stars because I had gone through and said, OK, I got to make sure I use everything Bart ever told us about this. And I want to test every single one. So I wrote up all the stuff I wanted to have in there. And then I went backwards to say, OK, if I'm going to have a pull down, uh, then I want to have that be uh, the genre. And one of the things I said was I want to use the font awesome icon. So I got myself my own font awesome uh, um, 
account and I created my little stars and I even made them look stupid by having some of them tilted. So I tested knowing how to rotate them, which is hard with stars because if you do it at the same increment, then it doesn't change. So that doesn't work. But anyway, I put in my little stars and everything and it turns out the stars don't work at all with voiceover on, at least in Safari, they don't. And, uh, and so he would get to them and he could select them or he could get to them and he could try to click on them, but they wouldn't click. And that's where we ended up having to discover a whole new thing that will be next week's show, right? Right. So, and it may turn out not to actually be the answer to the problem we started with, which is how things go in life. So by playing around with accessibility, we stumbled into the concept of keyboard navigation, which is something I completely omitted. And we may well find out that it has nothing to do with keyboard navigation when we finally solve the original problem. But that doesn't change the fact that we skipped over keyboard navigation, so we should go back and do that. Right, right. We absolutely need to. Yeah. So it may turn out that actually the solution to the original problem has nothing to do with the normal keyboard navigation stuff I want to definitely talk about next week. Which is kind of interesting. It's like, so we found a problem. We thought we had a solution, which we, which is definitely an oversight. But now at this moment in time, it may not actually be the solution, but we're not quite sure what the solution is yet because we're still experimenting. So <laughs> yeah. I'm not 100% sure what's going to be in next week's show. It may just be me going, ah, help. <laughs> There's been a little bit of that. We did, uh, when he's talking about keyboard navigation, by the way, we're talking about if, if you're sighted uh, or blind, and you get mm-hmm. a big form, you don't want to type in some text, then reach over, grab your mouse, move over to the next field and click, right? You just hit tab, type, tab, type, tab, type. And we didn't talk about the text input like that, right? Exactly. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a massive keyboard user in the, in the real world. So why it, didn't, why it didn't occur to me that we were forgetting that, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know why. It's a weirdo one. But, <laughs> you know, I am the guy who knows all the keyboard shortcuts. It's like... I'm the guy in the finder who knows that it's command enter to go into folders and stuff and who command O's things and all sorts of things. Like it, it's why we, I'm the guy who plays around with the keyboard. <laughs> well, it's kind of cool that accessibility is how we backed into that. We had forgotten something for everybody. So that's cool. It is. Yes. So both of us are learning a lot this week and exactly what we'll have learned. We will pass on two weeks from now. <laughs> Hopefully in a coherent and sane <laughs> Right, because if you heard structure. our answer right now, it's more like what Bart said. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's, there's a lot of confusion at the moment. Yep. Anyway, so last time's challenge was supremely open-ended. I basically said, make a form for entering details about a movie for some kind of movie database, like an IMDb or something. And there was lots of somethings and lots of hand-waving, and the basic idea was to be an extremely open-ended challenge that people could interpret however they wished and let their imaginations run wild. So I have done a sample solution, but in this case, the chances of my sample solution looking anything like anyone else's sample solution have got to be vanishingly small. (laughs) Like finding two identical snowflakes because it was so open-ended. However, hopefully they're still used to it. Do you want to make sure you give me my gold star publicly that you gave me privately? (laughs) I did. I sent you a massive size, 144 font star emoji. That was for my little table that I made that that showed uh, uh, all the different uh, things he had taught us and what I was going to map them to. I didn't tell you this. I meant to send it to you. I sent that to Dorothy and Dorothy sent me back this crumpled up piece of paper with like three almost unintelligible lines written on it. And she said, here's what I did. (laughs) 
I, I'm i known for, I always have a stack of post-it notes on every desk I ever frequent. Uh-huh. And I am known for having doodles on those, which are a complete hieroglyph to anyone but me, but are really whole designs of entire systems to little old me. Right, right. Anywho, so my sample solution, so the zip file for this episode, which contains two files, the sample solution and a file that we're going to work on together as part of this installment. So uh, the sample solution is in the folder PBS 39 challenge sample solution. And it's called PBS 39 challenge.html. You can read along in your favorite code editor. The code is also pasted into the blog post and there's a screenshot of what it looks like. But of course, it's probably better to just open it up in a browser to see it actually working. Um, I don't really want to go through it line by line, but I do just want to pick out a few things that I think are worth discussing. So the first thing is, in the real world, when you're dealing with something bigger than just what's your username and password, it's good practice to group related form items into nested field sets. So you might have one field set that surrounds the whole form to set it apart from the rest of your page. And then within that form, you might have different sections like, you know, sender information, billing information. I mean, depending on what the form is for, there's obviously going to be different logical groupings of things. But the chances are extremely high that if you have a complex form, there are logical groupings. And, and the, you the can nice, nest. The nice thing about that with voiceover, somebody can jump from one field set to the next with a single keystroke instead of going, you know, click, 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 click through all of the questions you have in one field set. They can jump from field set to field set. So it's, it's huge. Precisely. Yes. So this, again, is this concept of the the HTML markup telling the browser and hence the accessibility features what something is, not how it should look. It's saying what it is. And so the field set, as its name suggests, is for a set of fields. And it has the matching legend tag that lets you describe that set of fields. And that means that the voiceover can give you a sane description whenever you move into, so in my case, it's movie details, which I broke into basics, metadata, creators, and cast. And so as you're jumping around, voiceover is shouting at you in its very, very quick voice, but summary, or whatever it's you know saying <laughs> as it jumps around. Um, so definitely make use of field sets. And remember that you can nest them arbitrarily deep. And the more complicated your form, the more deeply you'll be nesting them. So in my case, I went at one point as far down as three. Oh, wow. So now, yeah. So my genres are, are grouped together. I mean, they are multiple checkboxes, but they nonetheless together form a logical unit. Therefore, I felt they should be in a field set. Interesting. I did I did some checkboxes, but I didn't make them a separate field set. They are a single span, though. Right. So a span is a, is just a way of applying some styles. So a span has no semantic meaning, whereas a field set does have semantic meaning. So I would argue that a field set is more expressive markup. Expressive. So you're you're telling the browser what it is. Whereas with a span, a span is purely for style. A span has no meaning. It's only for display. But, but Whereas a field set into, has meaning. In avail, right. But in available formats, the only things you could, available formats was I did the little checkboxes like you did genre. Mm-hmm. That all happens together. When you go into available formats, if, for example, if you tab around, it goes through VHS, DVD, Blu-ray, that it, it sticks together. Sure. It's not visually different, uh, but it's accessibly a separate thing. So, okay. I mean, it, these are not hard and fast rules, yeah. right? It, but you, yeah, no, you've given us a good understanding of like why you would want to do that. I like it. 
Yeah. And so again, the point is that the HTML should say what something is. And when you say what it is, that doesn't have to have any visual output, as we're going to see in a minute. So how you mark something up and how it looks can be massively different. So, you know, anyway, so you, you use the field sets to group stuff together. And then you should, if you're going to be properly accessible, you should also use the ARIA roles to help the screen reader even more by giving the outer form the role form to basically say this, this field set is capturing an entire form. And then the nested inner ones, you give them the role group, which tells the screen reader that this is a subset, a subsection. And it knows how to understand like a group within a group is a sub sub section and so forth. Hmm. So and it, then gi- it gives it, and then role group within group. Is there, you just, so it's role form and role group. And so if you nest four deep, it's still a group. Just maybe a group gotcha. within a group. Okay. But you just say role group. Okay. Um, uh, most browsers are intelligent enough to understand that the text inside a legend is the description of the form or the so the description that matches the field set. However, the ARIA specification says that you should add ARIA labeled by attributes because not all browsers are that clever. So yeah. I went ahead and did it the long-winded way, which is to say that I have an ARIA labeled by on each of my field sets. That is unnecessary in Safari. I believe it's also unnecessary in Firefox and it's probably also unnecessary in Chrome. But I just thought I'll I'll go by the book. So this is where I do start to get tangled is so we've given it a role. We've given it an aria labeled by we've given it a Mm -hmm. legend and then we give things IDs and then we give things more labels and and then we we give them names. Okay, well, forget about the names for a moment. Right. So names don't come into the field sets in the legend. So. I'm saying that I get confused by all of these different pieces of data that are all something I'm just typing and it's something's going to speak this out loud, I guess, and I, or, or it's going to be visible on screen. And I don't know the difference between a label and an ID and a, a, well, I, I kind of understand an ID better, but the, the label and the role and the labeled by and the legend, they're all mixed up to me. Okay, well, the label is what it says in the tin. So the text inside a label tag is visible on the page and going to be spoken out. So that's that's like end well, user visible. But an option is also visible. Okay, but an option is something inside a select. A label, a label is the description of a form field. So if you have a text box, it should be labeled. If you have a checkbox, it should be labeled. If you have a drop down, that drop down should be labeled. If you have a text area, that text area should be labeled. Because that is a thing and it should have some text that says what that thing is. So I get so text box without name, if it's not the, the name. The na- okay, so the name is an attribute. It's not visible text. So the name is completely invisible. The name is what remember the raison d'etre for a form is to build up name value pairs for submitting to a server. Right, 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 right. Yeah, you told me that uh, this week when we were chatting. So yes. name and value go together. You got a name, you got a value. You're going to, you're like, I've got genre and value equals comedy. Yes. There's, if somebody checks uh, action, it's going to be, the name will be genre, the value will be action. Okay. Yes. So, the name so is, that is entirely back end. So the name name value pairs are... They're, they're, the, they're the information you're handing to something. So the point of a form is to collect information from the user. So the user sees the labels and the checkboxes and the front end things. Okay. And that information is being taken from the user 
and given to some sort of technical something. We haven't really spent any time on that technical something. Right. But it's going to be some sort of back end that uses that information in some sort of way to achieve something. Right. And so the back end gets the name value pairs. The user sees the labels and the drop downs and so on and so forth. But, and the legend. And the legend, yes. So the legend only goes with field sets? Yes, legend field set. Those two tags belong to each other and a legend exists nowhere apart from in a field set. Good. Okay. Okay. That's important. Yes. Writing a note with myself. And the IDs are just ways of within your code. Again, an ID will never be seen by anyone. An ID is a purely internal construct. It's a way of telling one HTML tag that it is related to another and or telling some CSS styles that they should apply to that thing over there. So when we say field set role equals form aria labeled by equals something, well, that something is going to be an ID and then something on the page will have that ID. So in other words, what you're saying there is that this, this field set is labeled by whatever has this ID. So it's a way of saying that that legend is my, is my label. Now, as I say, in the case of field sets, that's arguably redundant in modern browsers, but the formal specification on the ARIA website says that you should still do it, strictly speaking. Okay. So it's duplication, right? It's obvious that the legend belongs to the field set, but you're being explicit. You're saying this HTML tag here is my label. Okay. Uh, and again, you'll see the IDs come into play to, to, to attach a label tag to a specific text box. So you say label for equals and then some value. Well, that value is going to be the ID that the label is for. Yeah. Seems like we right, end up with a lot of IDs. Yep. Whenever you need to be specific, you've got to give it. Like, think about how many variable names do you have when you're writing JavaScript. Right? Yeah, but I'm I'm never using most of these, and that's what makes it harder to like. I'm just like I don't know. I'm just making up names. I don't know what they're for. Oh, oh! Don't give something an idea unless you have a reason to. Well, I I don't give things IDs until I need them. Until I need to address you, you're Mister Anonymous, and then when I need to address you, I'll give you a name. So you're you know, so I, I won't create IDs just for the fun of it. I'll only create them when I need them. So if I'm building a forum and I, I know I'm going to have a label, okay, well, fair enough, I'm going to need an ID because I need to label you. But as a general rule, I don't just throw around IDs for the crack. I'll throw around IDs when I need them. So I think here's where I got confused on that. Before, we had said that give something an ID if you're ever going to want to talk to it with your CSS to make it change how it looks. That's why we gave things IDs. That is one of the reasons to give things IDs. So another reason is because you need reason. it from the HTML. Yeah, so you if you need, need it label. from the HTML then you need an ID. For a label. If you need it for a label, if you need to attach an event handler to it from your JavaScript, you might need an ID. Basically, if I need a way of saying you there, no, no, not, <laughs> not you guys, you, you, that one individual thing, you there. If you need to do that for any reason, then you need to give it an ID so that it has a unique identifier that you can address and okay, I've style. Got I've got it. I've got a classroom full of kids and I can call them all children, but little yes. Bart, Bart gets an ID because I need to tell him when he's being naughty, right? Precisely. Exactly. That's, that's it exactly. When you need to be able to address that one single thing, you give it an ID. And then you can address it through CSS or JavaScript or HTML. Oh, there was one For other thing, Bart. 
uh, told me uh, offline that I want to make sure you guys know is I've always wondered what these odd little characters he had at the ends of his IDs were. If you see CB at the end of an, an ID, he means check checkbox. If it says TB, it's text box. I was just baffled by where is that? And I don't know what he's talking about here. Yeah. So you can name your IDs. Well, not anything. You can't, you know, like there are rules that you have to, you know, that has to start with a letter. And there's, there's various rules we talked about way early on. Right. But there is a very large universe of valid names. And what the bigger your project gets, the more danger you have of a name collision if you're too generic with your name. So most programmers end up developing some sort of habit, uh, style. Mnemonic almost. Convention. Convention. Yeah. yeah. And so one of my conventions is that I will I will generally underscore and then a short descriptor. So my forums will end in underscore FM, my buttons in, enders, in underscore BTN and so forth. It has two advantages. It means I'm less likely to have a name collision if I have a button called go and an image called go. They're not going to be the same because one of them is going to have underscore BTN showed on the back of it. So you have less name collisions. But also, it means that when I'm trying to use it for within the CSS, I'm not constantly flicking over and back to the HTML to see what I called it, because I know what I love called it, because I have a convention. Right. I just didn't know what they were. I was like, that's got to yeah. be important, but I don't know what it means. It's not important. It's just my particular convention coming through. So you could call them all boogers and snot. <laughs> if you like. Probably not a good idea, but you could. By the way, when Scott filled out the form when I sent it to him, he used boogers. So I'm glad to see my influence going far and wide. Excellent. Okay. Okay, so now we come to the bit where I was going to praise you and give you your gold star. Um, so when you're designing your form, you actually should, before you write a single line of HTML, you should actually plan ahead and think a little bit about what it is you're trying to achieve. So the chances are... You're building this form for a reason, right? Someone has said that I need to capture X. So the very first thing to ask yourself is just to write down on a list, what information am I trying to capture? And so write down what it is you need to get out of the human being onto a list. And then for each item that needs to come out of the human being, you need to have a good think about what the most intuitive, human-friendly of our possible web form elements is the best fit for that particular piece of information. Okay. And bear in mind that you don't, it doesn't have to be a one-to-one -one mapping. So maybe it makes sense to have three drop downs if you're interested in a date or maybe not. Maybe you just want them to type it in. It sort of depends on the kind of human that you're targeting and you know, various factors, depending on the, the expertise. Maybe if, if your users are used to using an old system that you're replacing and that old system made them always type dates as, you know, year slash month slash day in a certain format and everyone just does it by muscle memory in your organization, well, then don't use three dropdowns because you're going to drive everyone completely insane. <laughs> use a single text box to give it a pattern to make sure they, they enter it correctly and leave it at that. So... It's not a case that you could just say, well, they want to date, therefore I must give them three dropdowns. No, think about it. Think about you're designing a forum to get information out of a particular subset of humanity. And that also bears into your design. It's not just 
about the information. It's also about the human because you're building a human computer interface, right? You're trying to get information out of humans into computers. And you just got to plan it out. And it's no guarantee of a one-to-one mapping between the information you want and the HTML elements you end up using. And that's fine. You know, design it however it makes the most sense for your humans and your information. And then when you have it written down and pretty much like what you sent me by email is like exactly the most neat and organized way of doing what I'm describing. I will generally have it a scribble on a post-it note, but I will have done it and then I will implement it and then that'll be that. But the point is you got to think ahead. You got to think it through. And I wish everybody who ever made a form had heard you say that. (laughs) Indeed. And be open to change, right? You may get feedback from people saying, oh, this is driving me absolutely nuts. I really wish blah, blah, blah. Okay. Maybe you need to consider at the end of the day, all the HTML form elements, they all boil down to name value pairs. It doesn't really matter which one you use, you're going to end up with a name value pair, which is kind of the beauty of it all, right? Whether you use a drop down or whether you use a collection of radio buttons or whether you use a text box, at the end of the day, what will be sent to the server is a name value pair. And all you're choosing to do is how best to get the value out of the user. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, and excellent. So then the next concept I want to hammer home is, I've already mentioned it today, but let's mention it again. This is one of, you know, the way I have these mantras that I try to bash into your brain. <laughs> Stuff like, you know, tables are for tabular data, these little yeah. things. Yeah. Well, the other one is HTML is for defining what something is. CSS is for defining how it should look. I find that so, very pleasing, that those two roles are separated. That And, and I it think- is. Having done, it helps people to understand uh, the way WordPress works, that the way it looks has nothing to do with the data that's inside it. Yes. Yeah. And that's a good design. You're completely separating your what from your what it looks like, because that also means that you have the ability to make it look different on an iPhone versus on a 27-inch iMac. Right, right. And that's probably sensible to have that ability. When I completely changed the way my website looked and functioned and how, I mean, how you navigate the site. I didn't have to type any new data in. Everything was still there. Exactly. Yeah, and that is that is a lovely. And in really old versions of HTML, those two roles were mushed together and it was absolutely hellish because if, if a corporation decide, well, I mean, a practical example, we had a the first cell phone company in Ireland, like they were the first, so they literally had a monopoly, right? And their, their corporate identity was purple. Everything yeah. to do with AirCell was in purple. And they were then bought out by Vodafone from the UK. And Vodafone's corporate image is Ferrari red. They are red and white for everything. It took them, because this is in the very early days of the web, months to actually fully change their web page. You would be scrolling along in red and then hit a link that hadn't been updated (laughs) yet. And suddenly it's purple. And neither of those are subtle colors. Right, right. (laughs) And when you suddenly ended up on the wrong page, it was really jarring. And... One of the best things to happen as HTML has evolved is that all of the styling has come out of the HTML and gone over to the CSS, which is just how you want it. Keep your markup and your styling separate. So, so I, I know it, I've derailed you about 28 times already and we're barely getting started fine. still, but um, I wanted to tell you something else fun. Uh, this week on the show, I, or last week on the show, I made a horrendous geometry mistake. And geometry. Yeah. Of all the things for me to screw up, my single favorite subject of all time is geometry. And I, I, I won't just discuss it here. Let's just not talk about it. So I had to edit a post and say, this thing is basically was crap last week and I fixed it. Do you know what mm-hmm. I did? I created an aside. 
and I used Ooh. CSS to make my aside. So it's, it's, it looks exactly like your asides, except not a dotted edge. That's the only difference that I did. But I know why it looks the way it does. And I happen to like what you did. So I did it that way. The The sad part was I, I worked on it for like two hours and I could not get it to work. And I was really mad. Uh, and uh, actually, no, I, I also worked on doing drop shadows finally, like I've been wanting to do with CSS. And I could not mm. get them to work. And so I, I uh, invoked one of my, uh, one of my, my uh, greatest helpers, Helma. And we did a, a little screen share party where, where I was showing her what wasn't working. And we finally figured out it was yet again, the stupid Safari browser cache. So I'd make these changes and nothing would happen. I'm like, how could it not be there? I know it's there and it wouldn't work. <laughs> oh, and the same code would work on a dummy page. It nearly, <laughs> It's not I'm, just a Safari cache going on though, because WordPress is caching as well. Yeah, so we, you're, you, you could be quite a few caches deep. Yeah. Oh, I was so mad. But anyway, I now have drop shadows that are not hard coded into the, 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 the JPEGs are not hard coded. Oh, beautiful. Box shadows. Yeah. I've been wanting to do that forever and I finally, finally did it. So CSS, I can later on decide that I want those shadows to go to the left instead of the right. Maybe in the afternoons, yeah. it'll go to the left. I don't know. <gasps> That'd be cool. Oh, that'd be it? so great. You take the local time, <laughs> you take the modulus of the 24 hour clock and you make the shadow out. move. I would be so subtle as well. You'd have to. You, oh, oh, darn. Okay, yeah, you just—that's distraction number five hundred and twenty-two from everything I should be doing. <laughs> we should totally do that, shouldn't we? You have to help me do it if you do it. See if anybody notices. <laughs> well, yeah, when you said it out loud, people probably would. But wouldn't it be very interesting to if if you put it on a random website and just waited until someone noticed that the drop shadows were actual shadows in the direction? You might be waiting years, but it'd be fun. It would. It'd be even cooler on iOS if you tied it into the, uh, oh, the Compass API. Oh, man. There we go. Okay. Get back to work. That'll be Mark. freaky. Anyway, back to work. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so to illustrate the point, so I would very much say you write your HTML to be as explicit about what stuff is, and you don't even think about how it'll look until you've done that, and then you make it look how you want. So as far as I'm concerned, a form is a list of labels and inputs so if you look at the markup you will see that there are uls and li's everywhere in my html right and yet when you look at the screenshot or you load the page there is not a single bullet character on that entire page yeah you cheated did you ever teach us how to do that oh i most certainly did dang it okay fine so why? Well, the answer is in the CSS, of course. It's always in the CSS. So I have a snippet in the show notes just sort of showing the basic structure. So I have a list, and each list item contains an input and its label, and then the end of the list. So the genres are a great example because they're a list of genres, right? right. A whole bunch of checkboxes. So you can see the code for them there. And yet they're displayed in such a way that they don't look like that. And the reason is because I've given the UL the class inlined, which I have made up, right? I could have called it boogers, but I called it inlined because that made sense to me. Ah. And so then I have in the CSS, ul.inlined, padding left 0px. Okay, so the first thing is normally on a list, everything is tabbed in, right? But it's not tabbed in, it's paddinged in. Can can I back you up a little bit? You can. You said inline was a class you made up? Yes. But... uh, 
because that's where I got stuck when I was reading it, because I did some reading ahead, but I couldn't mm-hmm. find, how do I know that you created it? The CSS. Well, on line four of the HTML snippet above it, it says UL class equals inlined. I could have said UL class equals boogers, but then I would have to call it boogers in the CSS. Well, hang on. Okay, so inlined is your yes. class. Inline is not a class. Correct. So in li- so when you say ul dot inlined, you're saying if you find a, a ul that's got the class inlined, then display colon inline. Yes, and exactly. What does so your selector inline mean? Well, that's the CSS actual. So that means remember your CSS is a bunch of name value pairs again. Yeah. So the what inline you, what I'm asking. Uh, so display. So the display property has the ability to have something be block inline inline block flex installment nine that's how far back this goes um but it's been too long since i've made you exercise these muscles so a paragraph is a classic block level element right the block level elements remember they're like the balloons that float up to the top yeah an inline element is like say the strong tag when you make a word bold it doesn't go onto a new line and stretch it the full width of the page it's inline okay so that means it's just by default, the strong tag defaults to display inline. But the default with CSS, you can make a paragraph be inline. You could make strong be block or you could make li be inline, which means that the li tag stops being a balloon that takes up the full width of the page and starts a new line and starts to behave just like a strong tag and just becomes part of a sentence. So when you make your li inline, it doesn't go onto a new line. What if so it's all too of your long? list items, Does it if it's too long, it'll wrap around like any other word, right? It'll it'll behave like a strong tag. So if you have this is silly and bold and it doesn't fit in a sentence, well, the bold will flow around onto the next line. So what do you mean when you say it won't go onto the next line? I mean, it doesn't start a new line. When you when you make a word bold, it doesn't, it doesn't start, start a new line. A new line. By itself, yes, like, okay. like a paragraph does, right? So that's the you. difference between a block tag and an inline tag. Okay. So what we're doing there is we're saying, yes, I know that the li tag by default is a block level tag, but I don't want it to be a block level tag. I want it to be an inline tag. And so you just say display colon inline, poof, by magic, it's now inlined. That doesn't remove the little dot. So the next thing is to tell the, the remember, we can control what that little dot looks like with the list style type. So you can have circle, square, a few other ones, disk, um, can't remember them off the top of my head. But there's also the magic word none. So list style type none means I would like a bullet of type no bullet. Which is the cool part, but I'm still stuck on the other part. I did not use this making it uh, class and, and, and giving it CSS to say display inline, and my checkboxes don't go on to separate lines. In your checkbox. So, no, no, not checkboxes, list items. Lists. Oh, right, right, right. I didn't have list items. Never mind. I'm with you. Okay, so remember, all of my checkboxes are inside yes. a, link, a list. Yes. So by default, mine should be appearing as a bulleted list, one right. under the other, under the other, under the other. But they're right. not. They're appearing as a sentence, for want of a better description. That's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. You just have the complete power to say, yeah, I don't care what the default is, do this. <laughs> and then the last thing I put in later is white space colon no wrap. So by default... Oh, wait, I, did, I cut you off before you explained how you made there be no bullets. Okay, so list style type none 
means no bullet. So the list style type circle would give you a circular bullet. List style type square would give you a square bullet. Uh, so it's probably not earth shattering that list style type none gives you no bullet. And you taught us that before too? Yes, we did. God, I don't remember. That the, is the uh, best thing. I was When I looked at yours, I was like, oh man, because I didn't like that I had bullets on mine, but I didn't know how to make them go away. List style type none will make the bullets poof out of existence. Okay. Um. So at that point, I had working code, but it had a slight drawback that as I was basically messing around by resizing the size of the window, it would happen at certain window sizes that my bullet would be on one line and the label would be wrapped around to the next line. And that's just weird. I mean, it's, you know, if I clicked on the label, the right checkbox was still checked because they were still connected to each other because they had a label four equals and all those IDs and things. I mean, it was still functional, but it looked very stupid. (laughs) <laughs> to have like this dangling checkbox. So white space is the CSS property for controlling what happens when you bounce at the end of a line. And no wrap means never split this, whatever it is, over multiple lines. So by saying that each list item should have a no wrap, it means that either the whole list item moves to the next line or none of it does. But then In other again, words, the checkbox too long, it will wrap. It won't wrap. It'll burst out the side. Oh, it will burst so it, out the side. It will burst out the side. So I asked yeah, if earlier say, if it would go to the next. Okay, so the display inline doesn't keep it from wrapping. It's the white space. No wrap will make it just slide out, right. stick out too yes. far. Okay. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so they're two separate things, which is why I didn't. So be careful with that one. Yeah, so basically the, 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 the no wrap is great for small little chunks of things. But if you put a no wrap around the massive big long sentence, you will make your page look really daft. Yeah. But in this case, we have checkboxes on their labels. So that makes perfect sense that they should stick together. They should be they should be bosom buddies glued together. <laughs> so the hence the white space no wrap. And so if you resize my form, you'll see that in the genre, the, you know, the rom-com will jump onto a new line together with its checkbox. You'll never manage to get rom-com on one line and its matching checkbox be stuck on another one. Okay. And that's how you achieve yeah. that. Got it. Um the last thing then is to make them easier to read. I stuck in a half character wide space between each of the list items. So margin right, 0.5 VM. Oh, actually, yeah, that's, yeah, I did. Phew. Okay. So you'll notice that the margin right I only did on the genres, whereas the inline class I've used elsewhere in the page. So that last margin right only applies inside that item. The other thing you'll see me using is the direct descendant of CSS selector, which is the arrow. So do you remember what that means or do I take a moment to explain those CSS selectors? No, I don't remember. Okay, so let's start with that snippet. So line two is our first CSS selector. It says UL dot and then some text. So how do you interpret that? So you're talking about the UL dot inlined? I am. Okay. Yeah. No, no. So, so line two there. Yeah. So in okay. That little so I snippet. read that earlier. So it means look for ULs that have the class inlined. And you know to look for a class because it has a period. Yes. Okay. So it's tag name, period, class name. Yes. So on line five, we have our next selector, which is ul.inlined chevron. So forward facing chevron. Everybody want to describe it. Thank you. Yes. That's the actual word for that symbol. Thank you. And then we have li. So what, what's going on there? So that's an li that's inside of a ul that has the inlined class. That is a true but not 
100% true. That is a true statement, but not, not capturing all of the truth. Not okay. a complete statement. There's okay. the word. Um, so the arrow doesn't just mean inside. So if I had a space there without the arrow, it would mean inside, which would mean that if the LI was five UL, if like nesting into five further tags, it would still count. Right. The arrow means direct child of. Oh, okay. Okay. So in other words, my style isn't spilling into anything deeper nested inside. Hmm. So I'm saying only apply this style to an LI that is directly inside a UL with this class. So I could have an inline UL that contains a normal UL that still has all of its bullets behaving normally. Okay. Not sure why I might I not sure why I could want to, but it's generally speaking a good rule to to be as specific as possible. So mm-hmm. your specificity is nice and high that you don't have unintended side effects of your styling. So hence I'm being very explicit here and saying, so the last one then is pound sign genre underscore FS arrow UL arrow LI. So okay, in other let words, me say it. Let me practice one yes. more time. So pound sign genre underscore FS. So that's an, that's an ID also, but it's not an ID correct. that's tied to a specific HTML element. Correct. I have chosen not to. Yeah. So basically whatever element on the page has the ID genre FS, that's who I'm talking to. Okay. So pound sign genre FS. Okay. So I'm not talking to Bart. I'm talking to anybody with a red hat and Bart happens to have a red hat. That's who he'll get picked. Yeah. <laughs> and it, so we've got greater than UL, greater than LI. That's saying with its immediate UL in its immediate LI, then I want you to make the margin right 0.5 EM. Yeah. So the style applies to the LI. So the style applies to list items directly inside ULs, directly inside whatever it is with the ID of genre FS. In case you're wondering, FS means field set in in BART. (laughs) Right. right. uh, What's the word? Convention. Convention. So in BART convention, underscore FS will mean it's a field set. So only, only space them out in the genre section. And then if you look at the screenshot, you'll see that the genres do indeed have a subtle half character wide spacing to keep them separated from each other. So that it's more obvious which checkbox belongs to which label. I like it. Yeah. So there, there, as I say, there's a, a nice example of keeping your markup separate from your display. So another thing you might want to do is sometimes... This is really counterintuitive, right? So I have said to you that you always label your inputs because it's really important to help the user. There are, however, times when you can make a cogent argument that the label doesn't add clarity. What it actually adds is clutter. Mm. And so the example I'm going to use for that, which you might argue with me is contrived, but that's kind of what happens in examples. So in my basic section, I have the title of the movie, the year the movie was released, and its MPAA rating. And that actually, I would argue, or at least argue you can make an argument, that that is less clear when you say title, year, rating, and then have that same UI. I think the UI is actually clearer that you're talking about, you know, uh, Citizen Kane, 1960-whatever, G. I think that's so self-documenting that it's actually clearer without the labels. So you might say, oh, fine, I'll delete them from the HTML. And at which point I would scream and shout at you, no. And the reason for that. Change the, what it looks like, not what it, what's inside there. Right. And the biggest reason is because for a screen reader, you actually do want the screen reader to be able to tell the visually impaired user what it is they're editing. Yeah. Yeah. 
So you definitely don't want to take it out of the markup, but you may want to hide it. So you can use your CSS to just set display colon none on the labels you don't want displayed. That's cool. And they just vanish. And so the, your look is one way, but you're, you know, and it's very straightforward. Now, I intentionally, again, use a fancy CSS selector so we could have another chat about CSS electors. So in that little four-line code snippet there that says custom styling for the basics input group, uh-huh. line two, we have our selector. So line three just says display colon none. So that's how we do the hiding. But on line two, we're, we're saying what we want to hide. So what does that CSS selector say? Oh, so he's got label and then some stuff in square brackets, comma, label some stuff in square brackets. Mm -hmm. I know the fact that there's two of them with a comma. It's saying do this CSS to both of these things. Perfect. So the comma operator is basically and or or yeah, depending on how you phrase it. I want this style to apply to this and this, or I want you to apply this style if this is true or this is true, depending on how you structure your English. Okay. All right. But inside the square brackets for the first label, it says four equals, and he's got uh, an ID there, quote, year underscore text box, TB. I don't mm-hmm. remember what the square brackets mean. The square brackets mean we're looking for an attribute. So in other words, we're looking for a label tag which has inside it name equals value. So in other words, I want the label which says four equals year underscore TB. So wait a minute, would the, the exact same thing be label dot year underscore TB? Nope, because year underscore TB is not a class. Uh, how do I know that? Like the, well, because, it's a, because it, it could be a class. I could have made a class named that, but I didn't. Remember, the CSS is applying to my markup. So we are saying that we want to apply this to a label tag which contains a four equals year underscore TB. So if you look at the HTML, label four equals zero underscore TB is the label we want to make vanish. So we're saying, I want the label, which is four, year underscore TB, to vanish. We use this, remember, with IMG um, SRC equals something to make like a specific, to, to select a specific image with a specific source. So we're just saying the label, which, which is for this, is what we want to make go away. Let me think about this. So I've looked at your HTML now. I have to go find your HTML in order to figure out what you're talking just, about. It okay, says well, it's four just... equals, quote, your underscore TB, and then it says year uh, YYYY. So is year YYYY invisible if I go over to, the, to look at the effect? Yes, because it's inside that label tag, right? So line 10 I, there. I don't know how to find it because it's invisible, okay, so I don't know where so... I am. Okay, in the blog post, the oh, two okay. snippets are right next to each other for convenience. I snipped out the HTML and then snipped out the matching CSS so that you could see them together. So line 10 of the HTML snippet okay. relates to line 2. Yeah, I've done that, but then the I'm CSS. trying to flip over to a third thing, which is the, what does it look like? So, so huh. It looks like it's not there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but Bart, you did make an ID year underscore TV. Come on. Right, but it's, I'm not addressing it as an ID. No, no how do I right. know that? Because I am, okay, so the selector says, look for label tags, which contain an attribute named for with the value year underscore TB. That is true on line 10. That is not true on line 11. <laughs> right? Line 11 contains no label tag. And line 11 does not contain so an this, attribute with the name 4. What do the square brackets mean? 
again? The square brackets means we are looking for an attribute. So an attribute is a thing inside the opening tag. Right, so input type equals number. The attribute is type. Input name equals year. The attribute is name. So square bracket means I want to match an attribute. Okay, so here's here's what's where I'm getting tangled again. The the four is two different things. So we've said we've mm-hmm. got a label for your underscore tb, and your underscore tb is in that HTML is looking for something with an ID of your underscore TB. So those okay. two things are the same, not by coincidence, but because they have to be. Correct? From an HTML point of view, yes. sure. Yeah, let me keep going. So from an yeah. HTML point of view, we have a label for your underscore TB. If we want something to have that label, it darn well better have the ID your underscore TB. So now when we Absolutely. say in our yeah. CSS, label for your under underscore tb it's only going to affect the label but not what it's for <laughs> absolutely because css is only about displaying so we're just saying i want to find a tag which is of type label which contains an attribute with name four which contains the value year tb wait, wait, wait you keep saying the word the name for what do you mean name it's not the name because you have name equals year okay Attributes are name value pairs. So the name of that attribute is four and the value of that attribute is year underscore TB. The name of the name attribute is name. And that's what's making your head explode. Right? Uh, okay, this is as bad as there, when you make all your variables the same in JavaScript, but this is second to that. I, I, I understand. You don't have enough words. Yeah, yeah. You don't have enough words. I can't, yeah. Well, I, and I name need value pair is the correct way to say it. So I, I think I'm with you. So of the, the of the name value pair for and your underscore TB, it's going to look for labels with the name for and the, and the value year underscore TB. Which is true for line 10, comma, label for equals rating select, which gives us line 15. Yeah. No, not line 15, line 14. 14, yeah. Which means okay. those two labels get a display of none, which is why when you look at the finished product, it just says title, and then you see the year and the um, rating without their labels. Okay. But the labels are still there, so when you go there on a screen reader and it focuses that um, input of type number for the year and that drop-down menu for the rating, it actually, voiceover can speak and say that you're applying an MPAA rating. Or you're applying a year in format Y, 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 Y. Nice. And so everyone wins, basically. Yeah. I better stop asking so many questions. We haven't started this week's lesson yet, have we? Yeah, but this is actually really important. Yeah, no, I know. I love it. So, and I'm now, ironically, I'm, I'm a few sentences away from hitting the link from one to the other. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last thing just to say, just to, to, to flag it. So way back in installment nine, we learned about flex boxes as a way of laying things out yes yes so you will notice i have put things side by side they were done with flex boxes and i thought Just, about trying to do that but i didn't remember how to do it so i didn't <laughs> okay well, as I, say, I, th- I thought it would be fun to, to show flex boxes in use for real so the yeah. link is you know it's from solomon nine and if you're wondering how i put the two things next to each other the answer is flex boxes because flex boxes rule i love I, flex boxes i would like to go study that so I'm glad you gave us a link. There we go. It looked fun. Okay. So in your browser, if you play with this form, 
it's behaving pretty decently. If you just hit submit straight away, the first thing it'll do is it'll jump you right back up to the title and say, no, fill out this field. So you've got to give your movie a title. Uh, and it will make you give it an executive producer, producers, directors, and it will make you put something into the cast box. What it won't do, which I really wish it would, is force you to enter at least one genre. And it also won't ensure that the cast is in the format that my piece of English says it should be. So my piece of English says, enter the cast one per line as character names and actor names separated by a colon. And then you have an example in the um, the placeholder text, character name, colon, actor name. But I can't enforce that with what we know so far, because the pattern attribute only exists on text boxes, and that's a text area because I want people to enter the whole cast. So you can enter any garbage in there, and my form will not throw an error because I haven't the ability to make it throw the error it should throw. Hmm, okay. Test it yourself. And it also won't throw an error if you don't give at least one genre, because we have no way, given what I have taught you so far, to enforce you to put in at least one of those checkboxes. You can't say required on each checkbox, because that would mean that you would have to have every genre in every form, which makes no sense. For a start, what on earth would an animated horror musical look like? <laughs> Could be fun. I don't know, but yeah, that sound uh, that sounds good. <laughs> so basically, this form has not entirely by accident, or in fact, not by accident at all, uncovered the fact that the what we have learned so far doesn't give us all of the ability to validate the form we might want. The thing is, what we've learned so far is pretty much everything we can do with pure HTML. So, who do you think is marching into this conversation? JavaScript. Bing, 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 bing. <laughs> so we can use attributes like required for very, very simple validation. We can use input type equals email or type equals URL for slightly more complex types of validation. And we can use input type equals text pattern equals and then a regular expression for pretty powerful validation. And we learned about all that stuff last time. I mean, regular expressions are pretty darn powerful, so it's nothing to be sneezed at what we can do. Oh, I would like another pat on my little pumpkin head. I did a regular expression for my date. Did it hurt? Uh, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. It wasn't too bad, but only because I decided, yeah, you can absolutely put in February 75th in my form. <laughs> right, because a regular expression cannot possibly... There's another good example. If you wanted to do the kind of mathematical validation to see if there is a February 75th, which is nonsense, obviously. You could never do that with a regular expression because a regular expression doesn't have the ability to do mathematics. So uh, you would need okay. JavaScript-based validation to do that. Because okay. it's not a pattern, right? The pattern is three letters followed by two digits. Right? The mathematics of it isn't a pattern. It's not expressible as a regular uh, expression. I got, the well, language it could still be a lot better than what I did. But I did some. It's my first ever. Great. Excellent. Good. And then Helena uh, helped me with some more, as, and she kind of drew me into her madness. So, Regular expressions are addictive, I think. So as good as they are, they don't capture everything. So there, there are examples there of when you need JavaScript. Another example of when you need JavaScript is when, you're, when you have an interdependency between multiple separate 
inputs. Okay. Right? You couldn't possibly achieve that. This is required if this is true. So if, you had, if you, you had a horror film was selected and then you had a pull down, you couldn't choose Woody Allen. For example, yeah. So if there was some sort of interconnectedness where maybe maybe you say that your credit card type is MasterCard, which means you're not allowed to fill in a start date, only an ah. expiry date. But if you choose, yeah, is it Discovery that has both? Some stupid weird kind of credit card has a start and an end date you have to enter, but most of them yeah. don't. So you can have these kind of interactions. By the way, we between... got we got a gas credit card that expires when Steve and I are 102 or 97 wow. or something like that. <laughs> Sorry. That's not particularly secure, but okay. It's very convenient. <laughs> Definitely convenient. So yeah, you have this concept that sometimes your requirement stretches over multiple different elements in the page. And so my genre example is a crude example of that. Each of those is a separate independent checkbox. But my requirement is at least one of this collection of independent elements should be checked. That is an interdependency between multiple different tags. There are different HTML elements. And we just can't do that without the help of JavaScript. Okay. So there are two use cases are the cast field, which has this quite complex rules, which we can't implement on a text area because text areas can't have regular expressions. And we have the desire to force at least one checkbox to be checked. So there are two problems to be solved. And I will use those as an excuse to teach you about JavaScript validation. Okay, cool. So let's move into it then. So let's build up some tools in our toolkit and then we'll use them to solve our problem. So there is a concept that's part of the rules of HTML. It's part of the HTML5 standard. Um, is this concept that any form field can have something called custom validity. Hmm. And custom validity is just a string that is associated with that input, whether it be a text box, a text area, whatever it is. Custom validity is a string that the browser keeps tied to that thing. If that string is empty, then it is considered, then the field has no effect. So an empty string means no problem. Whatever string you put in there is the error message. So you know the way when you don't fill in a required field, it puts up some English? Yeah. Well, if you had a custom validity, if you put boogers in there and hit submit, then boogers would be what comes up in that little pop-up. Huh. So the okay. custom validity is the error message. And an absence of error is how you specify I'm grand. I have no problem with you. So by default, every field in a form has a custom validity of emptiness. Or to put it another way, by default, every form has no custom error message. But you can assign a custom error message to any attribute, to, sorry, to any element in a field, whether it be a checkbox, a drop down, it doesn't matter what it is, you can assign a custom validity to that thing. And whatever text you put in there is the text the browser will display to the user. And the function for doing it is dot set custom validity. So which is I questions, think why they didn't call it set custom failure, but they didn't. Uh, but why is it yeah. got a dot in the front? Okay, so it, it, the function's name is set custom validity. 
but it's a function that applies to a thing. So it would always. And so have by a dot convention, there. we put a dot in front of it okay. when I'm writing them. It would yeah. never be just sitting by itself. It would be. It can't sit by itself. It makes no sense. Yeah, okay. it's got to be something dot set custom validity. I like that answer. Excellent. For what's a dot? Uh, now, excuse me. Well, I'm going to do a little bit more revision for you. Okay. Uh, I have told you this before, but it's a long time ago. Uh, and so I think it's really important that I don't make assumptions, not just for you. I, when I say you, I don't mean Alison. I mean everyone in listener land. Okay. So if we remember back, so jQuery is not a part of the browser. jQuery is a third-party library that we choose to use. And the reason we choose to use it is because it's a really human-friendly wrapper around the true functionality provided by the browser, which is in something called the DOM, the Document Object Model. And anything jQuery can do, the DOM can do too. Because jQuery isn't magic. It's just some nice programming to make the DOM more human-friendly. jQuery makes almost everything more human-friendly. But jQuery has no function for interacting with custom validity. So custom validity is actually a function that belongs to the DOM, that evil thing I've been hiding you from. So we do actually need to reach into the raw DOM here, not the jQuery wrapper. Hmm. So it's just a little subtlety. Now, when you say dollar, and then you give some sort of string that is a CSS selector, say P, we'll just get every paragraph. What that function returns, that dollar function, is a jQuery object that represents every matching element in the page. So if your page has 10 paragraphs and you say dollar, open parens, open quote, P, close quote, close parens, the result will be an object that contains every paragraph on the page or that represents every right. paragraph on the page. Right. And it's, a, it's like an array. So you could put square bracket zero, square bracket, and then you would get the first paragraph on the page. Ah, okay. And you can definitely do that. So you can use the square bracket notation and treat jQuery objects as if they were arrays because they're array-like objects. However, there's a better way. jQuery provides a function called get, and that function takes as an argument a number. And so get zero is entirely equivalent to square bracket zero square bracket. However, what get gives you that square brackets do not is you can say get minus one, which means get me the last element. Get minus two is get me the second last element. Get oh, okay. minus three is get me the third last element. Sometimes, so by sometimes getting, you know how many you have, but in something like a paragraph on a web browser, you got no idea how many paragraphs there are. And that could precisely. change. Exactly. So the only way you could do that with square bracket will be to get its dot length property and then subtract whatever you want to subtract. So basically you have this big mathematical expression inside your square brackets. Whereas if you get into the habit of using dot get, you just give it the number, and sometimes it'll be a negative number if you want to go from the back, and sometimes it'll be a positive number. So I'm going to use dot get in my examples. So that's the first piece of information there. Okay. This is still making so, sense, Bart. I'm not lost yet. Okay. So we have the ability to set this custom error message. The thing is, if I set a custom error message on... Well, first off, I have to do the setting. So my code somehow has to tell the browser that this is wrong. And secondly, when I tell it it's wrong, it stays wrong until I tell it it's right. I haven't given it a rule. I've just given it a state. I haven't said, here are the rules for determining whether or not it's wrong. All I've done is said, this, you're wrong. And unless I tell it something else, it stays wrong. 
So first off, when the user types in the field, I need to evaluate whether or not it's wrong, and only if it's wrong do I tell the browser it's wrong. Don't you and then the next also time, have to have some action that happens to tell you I'm done entering it to say that it's wrong? Or, or is it going to be like uh, in that Saturday Night Live skit where the guy just yells wrong immediately as the person starts talking? Well, see, it won't yell anything, right? So we need some sort of event handler to make anything ever happen is basically what I'm driving at. So by default, okay. every form element has no custom error message. So if there was no event handlers, that is how it would stay forever. Right. So we're going to need to use an event handler to capture the fact that the user has interacted with whatever it is we want to do our fancy pants validation on. So we need to capture the fact that the user's up to something. Then we run our JavaScript code to test whether the something is something we like or whether we're cranky about it. If we're cranky about it, then we have to use the set custom validity function to flag the fact that this is, this is horse poop. And if it's not horse poop, we need to do the opposite. We need to actively tell the browser, I'm, I'm good with this. Because otherwise, if it ever goes wrong, it'll never come right again. We have to we have to always write both. Basically, we always have to give our opinion, thumbs up or thumbs down. But we got to give our opinion every time the user interacts with the thing. That's so if need, you have a set custom validity function. Right. If we're going to make use of this function to do our fancy pants validation, we have to have our code triggered whenever the user interacts with whatever it is we're validating. Okay. So in the case of the of the text area. Whenever the user types some text, we've got to check, does this meet the rules? And in the case of our checkboxes, if someone either checks or unchecks any one of the genre checkboxes, we need to recalculate and figure out if we're happy or sad. Okay, okay. Yeah, so in our two examples, the interactions we're interested in is, have you typed some text since the last time I checked? And in the case of the genre, have you clicked on any of these checkboxes since the last time I checked? So there are two things we need to listen for. So we're going to use different event handlers because clicking on things and typing are not the same. Okay. So back in installment 22, which I have linked here, we learned about this concept of event handlers. And the, the general form they take is, so you could address an event by its name using the dot on function and Almost no one does this because it makes for very ugly code, right? So you could say, say, there's a code snippet here. So dollar open parens, open quote, input, type equals checkbox, close all your quotes, dot on, click, comma, function, whatever. So that's saying, give me all inputs which have an attribute with the name type and a value checkbox. In other words, give me all the checkboxes on the page, dot on, and then click as a string, comma, and then the callback you want to actually execute. So every time someone clicks on any checkbox, this function runs. Okay. But we don't usually write it with dot on. Instead, we use jQuery's beautiful shortcut function. So we write it dot click. So we say input, blah, 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 dot click, and then our callback. Oh, okay. Okay. So dot click is just a shortcut for dot on with the string click. But jQuery provides us all the shortcuts, and the shortcuts are way easier to read. So just Again, use the why shortcuts. we love jQuery. Okay, gotcha. Precisely. So in our case, the shortcuts we're most likely to be interested in for web forms is click, change, key up, and submit. So click will be fired whenever someone clicks. So for checkboxes, click is interesting. For buttons, click is vital. That button's whole point of life is to be clicked on. Change is more useful for checkboxes because change happens whether you check or uncheck. That's so a change. That'd be good with radio buttons as well. 
It would indeed, yes, because they change in very weird ways. Because if you click on one, you don't just change the one you clicked on. You also change one way over there somewhere. So a change handler is definitely important for radio buttons. Uh, key up then is the event we use for monitoring keyboard input in text boxes and text areas. What does so key whenever up so, mean? Well, key up means that you've lifted your finger off the key. Key hmm. down means you've pressed onto the key. So we okay. want the value after you're finished typing. So we want key up. We don't we want to know that you use key up on that thing we're working on for next week, next time. Yeah, and there's actually it's key press rather than key down. Yes, yeah, so you've key yeah. press and you've key up. So in the case of down, or oh, it's key up and key press. Ninety nine percent sure it is in jQuery okay. land. Okay, may not be so in DOM land, but in jQuery land, I'm ninety nine percent sure it's key press. Okay. But anyway, the point is for today's work, it's key up that we care about. Because okay. we don't want to know that someone is about to type. We want to know that someone has typed. Huh. So it's key up. Okay. Um, and then submit is when someone presses the submit button. That fires now, does it have to be a submit button? Or could it be like when I tab, I, I've seen things where I tab out of a field and right, that's right when it goes, hey, you screwed up on your previous thing. That would be a change handler in a text box. So a change handler in a text box only fires when the text box loses focus, which okay. is why key up is nicer. So submit is just submit. It is submit yeah. buttons and nothing else. Okay. Not just submit buttons, right? You can, a lot of forms will, a lot of browsers will submit a form if you hit enter on a field that's not a text area. So that would also fire the submit event because the form has been submitted. And if you use voiceover to make the form go, that's a submit event. So basically if the form submits, the submit event fires. Okay. All right. So whether you submit it by hitting enter, because that's what a lot of browsers do, or by hitting the submit button, okay. or by but some JavaScript a, there running. There is a thing that has dot submit parentheses in it that, that gets triggered by some motion, some... Yeah. When the form that... submits, yeah, when the form is submitted by any mechanism, that event will fire, right? That is... Okay, so each, it doesn't all matter those how, events. Click, change, key event. up, and submit. And there are more than those. There are more than those. This is gotcha. the other, there's like DBL click. There's so many events, it's just okay. not even funny. There's a million and one events. But in this case, the ones that are of particular interest to us in this context would be click, change, key up and submit. Okay. Now, the last thing is your favorite word on the planet. I'm afraid the word this is marching inev <laughs> inevitably towards this conversation. One day that penny will drop, Bart. <laughs> one day. So it is... Due to the way jQuery has been designed, this is not something that would just happen, right? The people who wrote jQuery made this be true, and they documented that fact in their documentation. So it is true by definition that in jQuery, the anonymous function you use as your event handler, within that function, the value of this will always be the DOM object that is the source of the event. So if I click on a text box or a radio button, then inside the event handler for that click, the keyword this will be the DOM object that was clicked on. It will be the radio button or the checkbox or the button button. Or the text. Right, that is what jQuery promises that to us. Okay, can I try uh, saying that? See if I can replicate what you just said? Yes. Okay, so... Um, we have an anonymous function that is mm -hmm. being triggered by this dot click, which is the same as on click. And mm -hmm. uh, by definition, when uh, this will have the will be 
the DOM object that you clicked on. Yes. Which might be a radio button or checkbox or whatever. Yes. Okay. So this so is that is object. the first true state. Yeah. So in this okay. case, in this case, you see, I love this is why you hate this word. In this case, this will be the dumb object. Okay. So if we want to convert that dumb object to a friendly jQuery object, we pass it to the dollar function. So dollar this is the jQuery fancy pants version of the dumb object. So this is the dumb object. Dollar this is our fancy pants version of the dumb object. Okay. Uh, do you remember me talking to you about the uh this is the house that Jack built in one of your one of your descriptions in uh your documentation I I accused Bart of doing one of those uh those nursery rhymes that go on and on and on of all the embedded stuff but one of the things you said the very end of that was the jQuery object that represents the DOM object this is what you're talking about with this with a dollar sign on it Yeah <laughs> Look at it all circle back Yep In about so 12 we need, years, okay. everything will make sense Bart and this is one of those things where practice makes perfect. So they are our Lego pieces. I have now given you or revised with you all the Lego pieces we need to actually add this validation to my form in my sample solution. Okay. So we have our Lego pieces. Now we need to build something cool with those Lego pieces. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to validate the cast text box. Because that's just some fun with regular expressions, really. So we can do that. So we should write a function that's going to have some sort of sensible name. And it's going to validate the content of that text box. And again, we know that the text box itself will be available to us as this. So I called my function validate cast list because I thought that was a good name. And so the, the first thing we're trying to solve there was that they need to be on separate lines. They need to, they need to, okay, so they need to be on separate lines and they need to be in the format character name, colon, actor name. So Winnie the Pooh, colon, someone. Should have picked something we knew the name of. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, who, uh, see, I was going to say uh, Johnny Depp and then whatever the name of the pirate is in Pirates of the Caribbean, Jack Sparrow, Jack there Sparrow, colon, Johnny Depp. Okay. So we need to make sure that it's as a form, some text, colon, some text. And that there's at least one of them. And so that's, that's what we got to do. Somebody's got to be in it or it's a really Somebody's got to be in it or it's a weirdo movie. And every somebody has to be in the form character, colon, actor, character, colon, actor. Okay. So we, I named the function validate cast list. On line four, we do this conversion where we say, okay, so I know that this is a DOM object. And I know I can convert that to a jQuery object by passing it to the dollar function. So let's just do that and give it a sane name that's going to make the rest of our code read properly. So var $cast equals $this. So now $cast represents that text area. And so we don't have to keep calling it this. We can call it Wait, by a real name. What text area? I don't... Whatever one we attach this listener to. Oh, because we're we writing this, this before... Before. We can't tie. We can't attach it. We can't hang the bubble on the Christmas tree until we've made the bubble. Okay, and but once we do, then we'll know the thing that you you clicked in or started typing or whatever is going to be this. And we're going, but we're just to. Uh, we yeah. don't want to keep saying this. We're going to say var dollar cast. Okay, becomes yeah. equal. Cause I, oh, yeah, because otherwise this code is going to read so unhuman friendly. When I come back to it six months from now, you know, in in the real world, you have code that has to be maintainable. So giving things sane and sensible names is for future use sanity. 
Okay. So I'm just going to say, I know it's come in as this, but I don't want to keep calling it this, 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 this. I want to give it a name. Okay. So var dollar cast equals dollar this. That's the last time we have to worry about this. Okay. Right. We've taken care of it. Problem solved. Uh, so that dollar cast is the text area, but actually what I care about is the text inside the text area. Yeah. Yeah. So jQuery gets up the text inside a text area with the val function. That so makes I say, complete sense. Yes, it does. This is why we like jQuery. <laughs> so var cast string equals dollar cast dot val. So Give me the value I, of the cast. I know what the cast is because the cast is this. And I know that this is going to be that text area once I attach it. So mm-hmm. the name value pair cast, the value of that is the junk that you just typed in there. Wow. Bingo. So we now have our this string to go me, play. I'm not lost yet. <laughs> this well, let's keep going because this actually makes sense. Or keep going until I'm stuck. I don't know which. I've never gone an hour well, and 16 shout, minutes right? understanding. Okay. Well, do please share it if, if I lose you, because I really like not to lose you. That would yeah. be fun. Okay. So we now have our string. So let's check my first rule. I said you have to enter something. So right. if the cast string triple equals the empty string, well, then you failed that reality, didn't you? Yeah. So now we got to set this custom validity contraption on the DOM object. Okay. So... We get at the DOM object with the get function. So we say $cast.get0. So in other words, cast, it's the only thing, but it is the first thing. But but you're calling it with the first thing. Exactly. Okay. So $cast.get0. So we now have the DOM object. So now I can call set custom validity and I give it a string, which could be boogers. But in this case, I've decided to be helpful to the users and says enter at least one cast member and blah, blah, blah. Okay. And then just, for my own sake, I now want to leave, right? If you've gotten it wrong, I've set the custom validity, so I want to sod off. So I could just say return, but I figure I'm cranky, so why don't I return some sort of crankiness? I don't. It turns out we're not going to use the fact that this returns a boolean, but I just I like to return something meaningful, and false seems like a good thing to return when I'm cranky. So I just said return false. It could be just return semicolon because what, what I really care is about that on the person typing none. Okay, but, None whatsoever, but it pops but I, us out. We're it out. pops us out. So the important thing is I got to get out of here. I've set my error message and now I should sod off. Yeah. Okay. If I haven't sodded off, then they have typed at least something. Yeah. So now I got to be more picky, right? I got to figure out, you know, what they typed. Okay. So I need to check every line one by one. So the very first thing I need to do is split my string into its separate lines. So if we remember back to some installment, we learned about the split function which allows us to break a string into an array yeah and we tell this we tell the split function what character to use as its break point for want of a better description if i remember correctly that's the one i learned from codecademy I, was that not slice oh shoot yeah that was slice which is also a cool function right, right. and it okay. sounds kind of similar but yes okay uh, I mean, there's many cool functions, but yeah, so split slash n means b- split me up every time you meet a new line character. So we now have var cast lines equals cast string dot split and then the new line character. In other words, cast lines is now going to be an array of strings, one for every line in the text box. And if the person strung them all together, you, you're not really checking for that. No, if, then it'll be one line, which we then have to check against our rule. And our rule is that you've got to enter it in the form name, colon, name. Okay. So we now have an array. So how do we go through an array? Well, we loop it, right? So for var l equals zero, I used l for lines. Could have okay. used i. 
I chose to use L. For L equals zero, L is wild. A whole new letter. L is less than cast lines out length L plus plus. By the book there. Yep. So then we use a regular expression against that line to see if it matches the rule. So if not, cast lines L dot match. And then we have our regular. Oh, there's a typo and a half. Our regular expression isn't a regular expression. So why? How did I manage to do that? What? They should be forward slashes, not quotation marks. Should be match forward slash. Okay. And then the regular expression ending in a forward slash, not a string. Okay, so it's something, and then a colon, and then a space. And I forget ah, what okay. the... So, okay, let's work through the regular expression. So the character class, so angle bracket means character character class, and inside the character class, the hat means not. Wait, so I want something I that's not start a... start with. Was it dollar was the end and the, and the circumflex was the, uh, the start? Yes, unless it's inside a character class. Oh. When you're in the square brackets, then it means not. Oh. And this regular expression okay. has another bug in it. So, the, the, oh, I need, I have some serious fixing to do here. Okay, so let's, let's not focus so, on that now. We'll, let's not focus on that. We, we've learned about regular expressions many times. Okay. Uh, this regular expression, as it is, is too generous. This will, uh, this, this actually, the way it is now with its typos in it, this is going to pass a whole bunch of stuff that should fail. Okay. But anyway, but, I but will fix somehow... it in the show notes. The listeners will see. The point being, I'm matching it to a pattern. Yeah. I'll fix the pattern in the show notes before before listeners hear this. One one thing I would be curious about when you do get this right, and I'm not going to look at it because I'll learn wrong things. But uh, yeah, that's not. But a name could have three spaces in it. Yes, it could, and this code will work because I'm basing it off not being a colon. So I want something that's not a colon. I want a whole bunch of not colons, then a colon, and then a whole bunch of not colons. What I, what and I'm, I'm going to be... What I'm poking at is, let's say I, I did the form correctly. I put in uh, uh, these name value pairs here. I put in uh, you know Johnny Depp and Captain Jack Sparrow with a colon in between. But then I mm-hmm. started another name immediately after that, which might have three spaces in it. So how do you know where Johnny Depp's name or Captain Jack Sparrow ends and I've started up another name? I don't, but your line will have two colons and it will fail for that reason. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Okay. So that, that's yeah, the yeah, answer. Because yeah. you could have Casper Van Dien. That's three, you know, that's, three spa- that's two spaces, but it's one name. My nephew has three first names. Uh, three. Yeah, yeah, people have all sorts names. of names. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just basically saying... One or more not colons, followed by a colon, followed by one or more not colons is the rule. Okay. I've typoed it completely, but that's the rule. Okay. All right. So we're saying if not match this pattern, mm-hmm. we do exactly the same thing, get zero, set custom validity, enter lines of the form, blah, 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 return okay. false. In other words, we basically give a custom error message and we sod off. Okay. So if anything has gone wrong, if you entered nothing... Or if even one line was wrong, we've started off. So if you could have entered 100 lines and on line 5, something went wrong, we set the error message and we started off. We don't even check the other 95. We've done return and false. <laughs> okay. Right? And that's just good coding practice. If, if it's wrong, it's wrong. You're done. Sod off. If we make it to the end of that for loop and we have not sodded off, that can only mean one thing. It means we're not cranky. Therefore, we need to do the opposite. We need to do our dollar cast get zero set custom validity to the empty string. Okay. So that if it was wrong, but now it's right, we have cleared the error. 
Because otherwise, basically, if you ever get it wrong ever, then it'll be wrong forever, which would not work. Right, right, right. And then I'm just returning true because that seems like a sane alternative to returning false. I followed all, all of that. Excellent. So this function now exists in isolation. It's never going to get called. We've created the function. It does what we want it to do, but it isn't tied to anything. It's a bauble with no Christmas tree. Uh-huh. So now we've got to do our event handler contraption and actually tie it to stuff. So if you look at my sample code I gave you before anything else started, it already contained uh, an event handler for what to do at the point in time that the DOM, that the document is finished loading. And so basically it's dollar function. And then we, it says there, add a click handler to the submit button to blank. You know, so basically on that form, when you click submit, it prints out what it would submit to the server. And that doesn't happen automatically. That happens because I wrote these two event handlers, a submit handler and a click handler. Okay. So the, those existed in the code I gave you is the point I'm making. And those two things happen when the page loads. So what we need to do is we need to add into that existing function whatever code it's going to take to hang our events onto the DOM. So on the next code snippet is exactly the same as one before, but I've inserted and highlighted, because I discovered you can do that in my little code editor plugin. Uh. I've highlighted the new code. So we're saying add an event handler to validate the cast each time a key is pressed and call it once to get it set up correctly initially. So let's walk through this line of code. The first thing we have here is the dollar function. So we're jQuerying something. Right. And inside the dollar function, we're passing it one argument, which is a string, which is a CSS selector, pound sign cast underscore TA. And as a CSS selector, that is looking for something with an ID of cast underscore TA. Yes. And by my naming convention, I can tell you it is the cast text area. Ah. So at this point in, in this line's execution, we have an object. We have a jQuery object that represents the cast text area. Ah. On that object, we call the function key up and we give that function one argument, validate cast list. In other words, we are saying attach this function as a key up event handler. So, so from that point forward, every time a key lifts while in that text area, that function will fire. I don't understand what key it is that comes up. Any key. How do you know when I'm done typing? You're not. Uh, the, right, if you're typing the, that's three key up events. The space, four key up events. So you're testing it every time I lift my yep. finger off a key. Yes, because, yeah. That way it'll go, it'll stop being read the instant you're correct. Huh. It's a computer. It has lots of CPU. Don't worry your little head about making it do some work. That's what it's for. I wonder how that works in voiceover on the iPhone because you don't necessarily lift your finger. You you touch and drag and such. Like, Well, that like, would be interesting to experiment with if it's simulating a keyboard. Yeah, so it must, maybe it simulates it. Okay, well, we'll play with that. So yeah. I think you lost me at the last turn. So we got dollar parentheses, quote, yeah, so, yeah. hashtag cast underscore TA. So that says... We want to look at the uh, cast underscore TA ID, which is going to be our text area. And mm -hmm. we're, we're passing that to the... Oh, right. So, 
every time you meet a period sign, that's like saying evaluate everything to my left before you continue. So we are. The question is, what does the dollar function return when you pass it a string that is a CSS selector as the argument? What it this. returns is a no. It returns a jQuery object that represents that thing. Yes. Okay. So in this case, okay. so we now have a jQuery object which represents our text area. Okay. So I'm I'm trying to say it, Bart. You already said yeah, okay. it. So I'm trying to say it. Okay. So uh, we're we're looking for this cast underscore ta id. We find it. And then we, uh, we're going to, I always screw up which way this goes. We're going to pass it a jQuery object or we have just, it is a jQuery object now. The dollar function has returned you a jQuery object. So you now have okay. a jQuery object. Gotcha. Okay. So the dollar sign being in front of that is what uh, creates this jQuery object, which represents the object in the DOM. And then we say Bingo. dot key up, which means we're going to apply this function, and the the uh, the argument to the key up function is validate cast list, which is our little function that we wrote up there. But then why does it say dot key up? Okay, good. So I haven't gotten time? that far yet. I haven't got that far yet. So when we say dot key up and we pass it as the only argument a function, that is the JavaScript, not the JavaScript, the jQuery documentation says if you give key up one argument that is a function, it will add that function as an event handler to that event. So at that instant in time, we have hung our bubble on our tree. But the documentation doesn't stop there. It also says, and will return the jQuery object. So in other words, when we get to the next period, we have back exactly the same jQuery object we had before the key up. So we still have a jQuery object representing our text area. And then we call another function. We call key up again. But there's something different here. What's different about the second key up? It doesn't have an argument. It doesn't have an argument. So what that means is trigger the event. Simulate lifting a key. We are... <laughs> okay. Well, let's see. How long did I make it before I was... Completely okay. baffled. I made it right. an hour and 29 minutes. No idea okay. why you would do I'm that I'm not twice. giving up. I am not giving up. <laughs> Let me walk you through why would we want to do that. So initially, every form element defaults to being considered valid. However, emptiness is not valid. So what I am simply saying is simulate the pressing of a key. In other words, call my event handler. Just call the key up handler. Which means that our code, our little you validate called the key up handler. You no, did I didn't. The... I attached it. I attached it. I added it to say that, that from now on, whenever someone lifts a key, run this function. But the function has not run yet until I when say dot key up. Key in that text area. Text box. Yes. So in other words, when the you, text box has let me, focus. Let me try that. Let me try that. So we have said since we said cast uh, cast underscore ta dot key up, we have said we're going to run this function inside uh, key up. No. We're going to run key, the key up function with validate uh, cast list as our as our argument when someone is doing something to that cast area. But we haven't said when to make it go. Right. So the, the first call to key up says attach the function I'm giving you as my argument as a handler whenever a key up event occurs. But no key up event has occurred. We've just said that. From this point into the future, whenever someone lifts a key inside that text area, do this. Why but this has never been done. Line? 
why would that be all slapped together with the thing that you just told it? I mean, that seems like you would say, and then do a key up. You could do that, but then you'd have to have your dollar function again. So you're making the browser query the whole DOM again, or you might put it into a variable. But really, jQuery is designed around this concept of function chaining. This is the way jQuery wants but you to do function things. Function chaining the same function twice is super But it's confusing. not the same. Yeah, I know it is. It's the exact same function. It just has a different yes. argument. It is Which means it does function. a different thing. It's yes, different okay. Function. No, that is true. That, okay. okay, no, you're correct. You're correct. Okay. So you this is the way... attach key up but then you tell it to key up. Exactly. So next time someone says key up and forever forward, do this. Now do this. But the, the user is doing the key up. Why does this, what is this line in our add to document okay, because ready otherwise we're not in a consistent state. Uh, well, no, because when the for, before the user does anything, we need, we need to run the validation because actually an empty text area is not valid. If I didn't have that last dot key up and the user never touched that text box, it would be considered valid, even though it's invalid. Okay, so you're saying running dot key up at, at that point says just go run through it once so you know it's empty to start with. Mm -hmm. That's all it's doing. Right. So, yeah. So, by default, there is no custom error message and yeah, by yeah, default, the go. text box there is empty. Okay. There we go. I, exactly. I, so we're I, basically... I put a pin in it right here. That will confuse me again. But right this minute, I know I, you did it. Okay. Excellent. Well, if it's any consolation to you, this is an extremely common design pattern that you'll see all over the place. Dot click, dot click, dot key up, dot key up, dot change, dot change. Oh, You're going great. to see that so often. It's going to become second nature to you. Okay. Yes, it is confusing. Okay. So let and me yes, I... Let me no, try saying that last thing you said. So uh, right before I said I'd be confused, what you what you repeated was something you'd said earlier, which is one of these mantras is by default they don't have any error messages built in. So you mm -hmm. have to, you're basically giving it the initial error message by doing yep. a key up. You're invoking it. Uh, actually, yeah, you're invoking it. Right, that key up with the anonymous function. It's going. Yep, go invoke it. And now mm -hmm. it's it's in error until I fill it in. And that's why it's going to already have a red box around it. No, it already has a red box around it because you said required. That is also true. But in yeah. this, I could I could now remove the required and my code would continue to work. Because yeah, 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 yeah. This, yeah, yeah, this yeah. event yeah. handler is taking care of that. I like it. I got it. Excellent. <sighs> okay, so the concept is we write our function to do our test and then we attach it to the event we care about. Right. That's that's what we're doing. And then Bring we the trigger that event Christmas once tree. to put everything into a consistent state. So it doesn't we take have to much plug to in the Christmas tree. Well, no, the Christmas tree is plugged in, right? The, the, the... No, 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 that second key up. That's plug in the Christmas tree. Okay, right. Sorry. <laughs> okay, I, that's a, okay. That's an interesting analogy. So okay. we've hung the lights and then we plugged them in. Okay, that'll work. Yeah. So this is extremely similar to what we're going to do a second time for our genres. But in the case of the genre, the event is not key up. The event we're interested in is that if any of those checkboxes change. So that means that the, the, the event, when we do get to hang it on the tree, is not going to be hung on one branch. We're going to have this same event hung on many branches. But let's, let's not jump ahead of ourselves. Let's start by writing the function validate genres. Okay. So again, I've given it a sane and sensible name. And the very first thing I do 
is this time I'm not making use of this because I don't actually care which one you clicked on. If you clicked on any of them, I need to check all of them to see if at least one of them is now checked. So I don't really care which one you messed with. I got to look at the set as a whole because what I'm interested in is that at least one of all of you must be checked. Okay. So we're just using plain old jQuery here to say var dollar genres equals dollar open parens opener quote pound sign genre underscore fs space input open square bracket name equals genre close square bracket. So it's a CSS selector, obviously. So Can we're I try going to, to end up this with this one. Yes, please. Okay, so we've created a variable, a variable which is a jQuery object called uh, dollar genres. We've mm-hmm. said that we want to we want to look for the uh the id genre underscore fs which is our field set we can tell because mm-hmm. it's got an fs uh mm-hmm. with the input with the name value pair a name of genre yes I'm not sure why you had to do that since you're you probably didn't have to do that because your genre or your your id of genre underscore fs is the entire field set so you you're being more specific than i think you need to be aren't you I am because I thought, well, what if at some stage, in, what if future me adds something else in there that I don't want to pick up by mistake? Good, good. Okay. So, so yes, I'm being imp- very specific. So input, and then what does the square brackets mean again? It means that we're interested in the attributes of the attributes tag. So, that, right. So the input is going to have the attribute name equals genre. Okay. So the, uh, the, the names of all of those animated fantasy, period, drama, horror, all of those had the name genre but they have a value of checked or not checked or something. No. Precisely. Oh, no, they have a value no, no, of whatever value the genre is. their value is animated or docudrama or whatever. Okay. Precisely, yes. Okay. I got so it. when you submit the form, it's going to say genre equals horror, genre equals whatever. So you're going to have multiple gotcha. genres potentially. Okay. Which is what you want because you may have multiple genres. Right. Because it might okay, be Rocky so that means- Horror Picture Show, which is a comedy horror. Precisely. I mean, yeah. Or you could have an animated period drama that is... Musical. Musical. Yes, you, actually, yeah, that's quite common, actually. Yeah. Frozen. Right, right. I think. Anyway, uh, Pocahontas, that's definitely period. Um, and animated and a musical. Um, so our variable now can... So dollar genres is now a jQuery object representing many checkboxes. Whatever amount of them I wrote. Now, what I'm interested in is how many of them are checked. So if you remember way, way, way back to early jQuery, there's a function called filter, which creates a new jQuery object that only passes through whatever matches the filter. So $genres.filter followed by a CSS selector. In this case, we're using the pseudo class checked. So pseudo classes always start with a colon. So when we learned about checkboxes, we learned that they had a pseudo class of checked if they were checked. So in other words, I'm saying take all the checkboxes. I was just going to say, we used, uh, or I used at least, checked on mine inside my HTML, and that's a pseudo class. So like I okay, no, inside your HTML is an attribute. No, that, okay, so you're using the checked HTML attribute. That's, in it's HTML, different. it's HTML. In, mm-hmm. in CSS, it's CSS. So in CSS, the checked pseudo attribute changes depending on whether or not someone checks a checkbox. So if it's checked, okay. then the pseudo class exists. And if they uncheck it, the pseudo class stops existing. So it's not permanent. Whereas in HTML, it's a, this is the default state I want you to be. Whereas in CSS, it's, this is what I am. 
which is not the same thing, right? So you and your HTML could say colon check. The user comes along, clicks on it. It becomes unchecked. In the HTML code, it's still checked, but in the CSS, it's not. Well, that's yes, not, no, 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 that can't that can't be right. All right, so it that, is. that would say that that if I create a form and I I mm -hmm. make them start with it's animated, I've got a checkbox mm -hmm. and it's checked. You're saying if mm -hmm. they uncheck that and then submit the form, it will still say it's animated? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is from the CSS selector point of view, the checked selector comes and goes to reflect the actual current state of the checkbox. But so Whereas the HTML code... Okay, but the, the word oh. checked never disappears from your HTML code. It doesn't HTML... from the HTML code, but, but the data that gets submitted, the name value pair, that it's unchecked. That again. does... You exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes. I got you. I got you. Okay. It doesn't disappear from there. Okay. All right. So let me see if I can say that. Uh, so we've got genres dot filter and then uh, parentheses quote colon checked. That's a pseudo class called checked. We're going to filter the genres to see we're find all the ones that are checked. And I'm going to read ahead. It says dot length less than one. So that's like if if you look for all the ones that are checked and the length mm -hmm. of that array that gets returned is zero, then you got a problem. Bingo. So we're going and to what spit do we do? out our custom valid validity code and say, you're a poo-poo head. Exactly. Now, we've got to hang it on something. So I have chosen to always hang the error on the first checkbox. It just seems like a sensible place because the, the screen is going to scroll to wherever you put the error. And oh. the little call out is going oh, to be pointed at that. something. Okay. So we've got to hang it off something. So I just said dot get zero. I would hang it you off know. horror. But okay, that's me. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, you know, I figured this way you're always scrolling to the top of the list. You're always going to yeah. see the whole list, so it's yeah. the most sane place to scroll to. So I hung it okay. off zero. Okay. In theory, I could have used the this variable to hang it off the one that they last. No, I couldn't have. So I haven't checked anything. Yeah. No, that doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I could I could pick a random number and hang it off that, but that's just being silly. So the point is, I chose to hang it off the first one, and then I return false, just like I do before. And then basically, if we got by that if statement, all was well. So I say set custom validity to blank return true. And the reason I write my code like that is if I in the future want to add a second condition, I can stick it in at line 12 without breaking the model. Yeah, yeah. So basically I all the different ways I can be cranky and then at the very end I say, okay, fine, I'm not cranky. Yeah. I see one interesting problem we could run into here uh, if, you're gonna, if you are next going to do the same thing that you did with the uh, text area is... Mm -hmm. If you started with one checked and you run mm -hmm. this with, you know, whatever key up or whatever crazy thing you think of to do twice, if you run that in the, uh, as the, uh, doc, the Dom runs, then it would not have that error because something is checked, but I guess that's okay. Yeah, that is, that is correct right now. In this case, I chose not to default any on because as far as I'm concerned, I have every possible type of movie exists. So yeah. So if, they had, if you had a default of horror and they never changed it, this would not error. But that's okay because you put horror there for some reason. I don't know. You're exactly. And I way. defaulted it because maybe we're maybe we're some sort of movie rental shop that only rents out horrors. Yeah. Maybe every movie's a horror. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I could make up an excuse. But yes, so you're right. If it was pre-checked, this would pass. But that, to me, I would argue is correct behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, so we've got to go hang it on something. We've got to go hang it on something. And the thing is, we want to hang it on lots of some things. But that's okay, because jQuery is our friend. 
So again, we're back to our same event handler, but we've just added in three more lines, which I've highlighted. So lines 18, 19, and 20. We want to add this, we want to attach this to the change handler of every single checkbox that's in there. So we have our dollar function and we call exact the same selector we had inside the function itself. So give me all the inputs with the name genre inside the genre field set mm -hmm. and then call the dot change function on all of them because that's the beauty of jQuery. When you give, when jQuery finds multiple answers and you then do something, it does it to all the answers. So when I say dot change validate genres, that handler has been added to all of them in one go because jQuery rocks. So now every single checkbox is locked and loaded and waiting for you to click on it. And if you tick it or untick it, it will go and count. How many are ticked now? Am I happy or am I sad? Now, like you say, we've got to do our initialization thing, so we've got to call it twice. But if I just called it like twice by literally giving it exactly the same call again, then it would run once for every single checkbox. And that's not initializing it once, that's initializing it like 10 times. So I just simply said dot first dot change. Dot first is a jQuery function that returns the first element only. So we're saying this time, initialize yourself by just calling yourself once on the first element. So you can. So you did dot first dot change. Does that mean it's going to go change something? It means we're calling the change handler. We're saying pretend something changed. It doesn't actually change anything. It just calls the ch the handlers. It just basically okay. it says trigger the event. Don't actually. It doesn't so actually. As it though actually, something had changed. So on key up, precisely. dot key up twice. Was that as though someone had lifted a key? Yes. Ah. Okay. Okay. So basically run all of your handlers as if someone had lifted a key. And so in this case, we're saying run the handler as if someone had changed the first checkbox. Which is fine because they're all the same as each other anyway. Yeah. So it means our code runs once. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not and that's lost. It. Um, and I'm finished. <laughs> and, and by the way, Bart asked, should we do this second piece this week or should we do it the next time? I think the answer was we were correct that we should do it next time. And your reasoning was, if you think this, it would be too much, it's definitely too much. <laughs> I thought it would be too much. It would have definitely been too much. Yeah. It would have been actually something the listeners don't know. We often have another kind of, of, of chopped out conversation where we stop halfway through a recording going, Alison, we need to split this one in half. So sorry about that. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of times what Bart will do is he'll put a gap in where he says, okay, if we get to here and it's too long or, you know, we've done enough, let's, let, we can call it. So that's, that's good. That's true. Actually. Yeah. I, I started to have like potential breakpoints where basically little flags in the show notes to say to Alison, if you want to stop me, here's a really good time. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, good. I'm going to set you a challenge. Yay. And this is, this is, this is, a, well, I'm being lazy. Anyway, the challenge <laughs> is to take whatever solution you wrote for the last challenge and alter it in such a way that it develops a kind of validation that you can't do without jQuery and then do the jQuery validation. So make a rule like you must enter at least two genres or you mu you know, some sort of rule that you can't do with pure HTML and then implement it. Okay. Make it so. Is there and a list of all the things that we can do? I mean, of the, yeah, there was a the jQuery documentation. So you'll notice the whole way through the whole way through the show notes, there's lots of, as the official jQuery documentation explains, links. Oh, okay, good. Because I have, we've now spent so much time talking about documentation. We've learned about JS doc. 
So I'm now making the assumption that I can start linking out to documentation because we're, oh, yeah, you we're know, all over that. We've gone from a tricycle to a bicycle with training wheels. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, you're not on your own yet, but I am nonetheless making the assumption you're more independent than you were. And you know the way the training wheels could be a bit wobbly? I'm making them ever more wobbly so that you're doing ever more cycling yourself and ever less resting on those training wheels. So because I have no idea what your starting point is, um, I this is, again, a very, very vague assignment. Also, I will not be doing a sample solution because if you scroll up, that is my sample solution. Oh, right? okay. Because what we have done there is I have done that on my sample solution from last time. By the way, the full integrated code of what we worked through together is in pbs40.html inside the zip file. So you can see it working. Yeah, yeah, great. You know, I think so, you're right that we can start reading documentation at least. Um, I have, uh, I found the documentation that we're going to be talking about the next time. And I was able to mm -hmm. tell, I know what this does. I don't know how to write it, but I know what it does and what we should be doing. And so I understood it. We're getting there. Exactly. And you'll develop this, the, the, the reading comprehension skills for the weirdo use of this. It looks like English, but it's not. It's developer language, but you're learning developer language. So it's okay. So that's that's where we draw a line under it. So next time we're going to be looking at interacting with the keyboard and or as well as or in some way related to accessibility. Um, depending, the answer to accessibility may be entirely keyboard based or the answer to accessibility may be keyboard and something else. We don't know the answer yet because myself and Alison are still having fun playing. Whatever that answer is, we'll talk about it next time. And that genuinely, this time I mean it, that actually finishes out HTML forms. At that point, we can create the form, we can do the normal validation, we can do the JavaScript validation, we can make our fancy pants forms work through the keyboard for people who are not using accessibility tools and through accessibility tools for people who are using accessibility tools. So at that point, we really have nailed down our forms. And then to see a form do something, I really want to get to the stage where we have a form that controls our cellular automaton. I want a go button. I want a stop button. I want some sort of slider to speed it up and slow it down. I don't know what other buttons we're going to want, but basically we're going to want a user interface to make our cellular automata, automata, like they're, they're supposed to step through state. Yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to be alive. make a lot more sense when I can see it. I think that's going to help me a lot. I was afraid when you said we're getting away from forms that we're done with them. No, it's just oh, no. we're le done learning how to do them. Now we get need to make them. We need to use them. Yeah. Yeah, because basically, right, I've been saying that the whole point here is to unite JavaScript, CSS, and HTML into one finished product. But that finished product is a web app. And what every web app has in common is that it involves user interaction. Yeah. At the very, very, very least, a button. Like, the simplest possible app has a go button. But it's got to have a button and or a checkbox and or a drop down and or a text box and or a text area. So forms are going to be with us all the time because that's how the human interacts with the computer. But we're done learning new stuff about them. We're just going to be using them forever and ever and ever. Excellent. Which is, a, which is good, right? That's where you want to get to. And I know you want to get there, which is why I'm a little bit sad that after promising you this week, I'm now not only saying not this week. <laughs> I'm also saying not next week either. But I think and when I say next week, week I'm a, or next time will be a, a good exercise of, of what we've been learning. So I still think it's going to be good. Plus, we have to it figure is. it out. And I get to help. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. So you get to see the sausage being made. Yeah, yeah.
All right, Bart. Well, this was this was fabulous. I really enjoyed this. This was a lot of fun, and uh, to go that long and be talking about JavaScript and not get lost, I I feel victorious here, or you should feel victorious. Well, I I think we can both feel happy. I think we can both go to we go to bed happy today, uh, and then I get to do security light with you tomorrow. And I'm afraid the universe is probably not going to make you nearly as happy. <laughs> oh well, and I can't get drunk at nine thirty in the morning. So oh well. Well, you can, but you probably shouldn't. <laughs> probably not. All right, Bart. Well, this is uh, this is fun, and we will uh, talk to you on the air in a couple of weeks and tomorrow. Excellent. Well, until then, happy computing. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. This show is not supported by ads. It's supported by you. If you learn from the show, or even if you're just merely entertained by the shows, please consider supporting the show. If you go to podfeet.com, there's a big red button in the top banner that says, support the show. If you click it, that will reveal to you several ways to contribute. You can pledge a monthly amount using Patreon. You can use the Amazon affiliate link for your country. You can make a one-time donation using PayPal, or you can record a listener review, which is an awesome way to contribute. You can always chat directly with me via Twitter at PodFeet or email me at allison at podfeet.com. You can join the conversation in Facebook by going to podfeet.com slash Facebook or on Google Plus at podfeet.com slash Google Plus. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.